William Carey, George Whitfield, Billy Graham, Dr. John Vernon McGee, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Dwight L. Moody, Mother Teresa. What do these people have in common? They've all been Christian leaders, well-known Christian leaders or influencers of the gospel, from the father of mission, modern missionary William Carey to Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher who found Moody Bible Institute, to Martin Luther King Jr., who led against the inaccuracies of our world to speak up against slavery. Many people who have carried the gospel message, who were known as great Christian leaders, some of the most influential leaders of all time. Today we begin week number four in a series of messages that we've been working through that we're trying to lay a foundation for us as a church as we ask the question, what's next? What's next for the body of Centerpoint Christian Church? This fall, the first Sunday in November, we'll be celebrating our 15th birthday as a church. And we're asking God, God, as we turn 15, what's next for year 16 and year 17 and years 18 and maybe even beyond? What do you have for ministry for us? And so we're looking to embark upon a, a three-year strategy that will influence our ministry way beyond even three years. And for us to do this, we've been stopping and looking at the life of Jesus and saying, what was Jesus passionate about? What was Jesus purposeful about? And, and what was the priorities that Jesus lived his life by? And we feel like if we can understand his passion, his purpose, and his priorities, when we understand that, and then we look at that, and then we get submissive and say, Lord, we're going to walk in that. We're going to do what Jesus did. God will do some great things in this church as we follow in his footsteps. And so I will tell you, week one, we tackled the kingdom of God. What was Jesus' mindset towards the kingdom or the church? Week two, we discovered Jesus the evangelist. How did Jesus go out and care about people who, who did not know who God was and people who were separated from God? Last week, we talked about Jesus the disciple maker, how he reached out and then helped people to grow in Christ. And today, I want to look at the greatest leader of all time, Jesus Christ. How did he lead? What can we learn from him as he led in a culture that was not exactly following the ways of God? How can we learn to him how we can lead in our culture? Before I get too deep in this message, let me remind you about a very important gathering that we're having on April the 14th called Dreams Unlimited. Dreams Unlimited. You are going to want to know about this event, and we're going to ask that you would participate in this event. Dreams Unlimited. It's taking place on April the 14th, April the 14th. Yeah, you go ahead and put that up. <clears throat> I want you to see this. Dreams Unlimited, April the 14th. Notice at the bottom, it says, register your family, mycpoint.com forward slash dream. We need you to register for this. Your children and you, why? So we know how many adults we'll have, we know how many kids we'll have. It's going to be a fellowship, a feeding where we'll eat together, and then the children will go over to... Uh, 
to the children's wing over here with people to care for them and take care of them and participate in some children activities while adults will gather right here. And we're going to spend some time dreaming. We're going to spend some time sharing. That night, we're going to talk about this journey that we're on and how are we handling this and what are we going through to answer this question, what's next? Now, a few weeks ago, I introduced you. I had them come up on stage, our Next Steps team. And some of the feedback that we received from them is some of you in the congregation saying, can you give me some more details, help me to understand this process that we're in? We're going to unveil that completely on that night called Dreams Unlimited. And we'll spend some time dreaming, but let me give you just a snapshot. Right now, we're in what we're calling the discovery phase. The discovery phase is a time where we've taken 50 days with the Next Step team and your leaders, our eldership, the church, and your staff, and we've done daily devotions for 50 days looking at the life of Christ and starting to see how did Jesus live out these principles we're talking about in this set of sermons. And then last the other day, we wrote summary statements for each one of those principles. Now, we as a church are going through basically what we did as a as a leadership team where we're studying it in sermons and then you're studying it on your growth guide. So it's a discovery phase, discovering how did Jesus view the church? How did Jesus view all these priorities we're looking at? And also a discovery phase about our community. You know, our community is changing so quickly around us as we have more and more homes that are popping up. We got to study our community and go, what does our community look like around us? What does your community look like in the neighborhood where you're at? And so we're discovering just things about our community. We'll unveil a lot of things that we reveal at Dreams Unlimited. What, what are some of the discoveries that we've come upon? Then we're going to move into the dream phase, and that's going to begin on that April 14th as we dream and basically say, what if we did? God, what would it be like if, as we try to do, move into this dream phase and just start dreaming together, how can we carry the gospel message into the communities that are around us? And you're needed for this church. We want you to participate in this as we begin this phase. Whether you're a member here, whether you're a regular attender, whether you just come once in a while, we want you to come and say, well, I want to help this church be all that she can be in this community. And so we're going to dream together on that night. We ask you to come. From there, we'll move into the design phase. That'll take place spring into the summertime as we try to lay out and go, okay, where are we moving from here? And we'll design out what's the ministry going to look like. And then come this fall, we're going to move into the deploy phase, which means we're going to launch into what do we as a church discover? What does we church dream of? What do we now put on a piece of paper and say, here's where we're going? We're going to deploy that this fall as we move forward together in unity. So in order for us to do this, in order for us to be most effective, it takes great leadership. Any organization, any church, any business needs leadership. The old statement is everything rises and falls on leadership. And you know that to be true. Maybe you haven't stopped and thought about it, but stop and think about it with me for a moment. You take a great company like a Chick-fil-A. And when they started in a mall, and the mall said, you'll never make it because you're not going to be open on Sunday, and our food court is busy on Sunday, they said, oh, we'll make it. We'll make it. Fastest growing fast food restaurant in America because they have good leadership, and leadership that's submissive to Jesus Christ. You take any good sports team, UK basketball. Now, I could have slid Michigan in there. But let's be honest, over a few centuries, or not centuries, over, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the dominant team would be UK basketball. 
They've gone, yeah, go ahead and clap. I admit it. I, Jermaine, that's the most excited you ever got in worship. My goodness. <laughs> Why have they been good from one to another to another? Good leadership. Leadership that knows how to coach. Leadership that knows how to recruit. You take any school, Harvard Business School is known to be one of the best business schools in the United States of America, and not just the United States, probably in the world. Why? Good leadership. You take any church, and you show me a church that is healthy and growing and strong, and it has good leadership. You show me a church that is dying, and the leadership is probably weak. You show me a business, and you could take some, several businesses that even close their doors over the last year or five years or ten years. You show me a business closing their door, I'll show you leadership that's been falling apart. You show me a school that's not doing well, I'll show you leadership that's falling apart. You show me a sports team that's falling apart, like my Detroit Lions have been forever, I'll show you leadership that is lacking. Because of leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that because he's smart enough because he's tied in with his Father God. So this week, we want to uncover the principles from Jesus, the greatest leader. We should make a practice to study his leadership style and then say, I want to implement that into my life. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you could just get that down. If we could capture the fact that Jesus came as a servant and say, I'm going to do that, you'd be amazed how much your leadership would change and grow. He came to teach. He came to lead. He came to train. And how do we do this? How did he do it? He served. Jesus' mandate for us is to go and make disciples, teach and obey everything that he taught. How are we going to do that? We're going to serve because Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus was born to die on a cross to serve you and me. Now, let me give you a big warning, though. Leadership is a hot topic, hot topic in our culture from, from businesses and schools and everything. we got to grow in our leadership. But let me give you this warning. Jesus did not come to be your leadership guru. He came to rescue you. He came to die on a cross for your sin and to take your place. We must not forget that. Well, it's good for us to look at the life of Jesus. It's good for us to see his principles. He did lead, and because he led, we can learn from him. But we ne- must never replace his leadership with what he came for, and he came to die on the cross for you and me. And we must submit to that and understand that. See, if we look closely, we see that his leadership was wrapped in servant leadership and servanthood. Even for those in high leadership positions, we ultimately submit to one person and ultimately submit to Lord Jesus. And so I want us to dive in just quickly today and uncover six principles that we can learn to lead just like Jesus led. First of all, Jesus led from a position of humility. Look at Philippians chapter 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. So in your relationships, in your, in your marital relationships, in your relationships with your children, in your relationships with, with your coworkers, in your relationship with your neighbors, he says, who be very, the, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In a relationship that he knew was creating with you and me, he humbled himself and said, I'll go to the cross and die. He put himself in a lower position than mankind by dying on a cross. He goes on and says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the same name that is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he humbles himself to a lower position that he's so willing to even die on the cross. And then God says, in your humility, because you did what I've asked you to do, I'm now going to elevate you to a greater position. What a lesson in leadership. Sometimes we say, man, I want to be the boss at work or, or I want to get this, this level and grow to this level. And we do everything we can pursue that. What about just choosing a place of humility? What do you need done? I'll do it. Where do you need me to serve? I'll serve. And pray then, God, that, that God would see that humility and that God would lift you up to positions or to the places that he would have us go. And then that people would see Jesus Christ in you as you serve in humility. Principle number two is that Jesus followed his Father's will. John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the one of him who sent me. This is so important, church. We are not here to live in this life on what I want, on on me, myself, and I. We are to be here and to walk in a relationship with God that we say, God, what do you want? God, that's your will. God, that's your plan. God, that's your purpose. And then I'm willing to do it. That's what Jesus did. He said, your will, I'm willing to do it. Matter of fact, look at John chapter 4 where Jesus said to them, his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He went as far to say, my food. He's making a comparison. The way I live... The way I live, the the, the thing that fills me up, the thing that keeps me going is to do the will of the Father. We've talked about this several times this year as we looked at Jesus. We looked at it last fall and the life of prayer that Jesus led. And Jesus went off to a quiet place to pray. And Jesus went and talked to his Father, God. And I can imagine some of the conversations. God, where am I going to go next? Dad, what am I going to do? Where do you want me to teach? God, who do you want me to heal? Dad, how are we going to handle this situation? How are we going to handle that situation? And I can imagine Jesus in his flesh as a man having some thoughts, at least thinking about it. And saying, God, are you sure that's the way we should do it? Dad, I don't know if I like that plan. Just as our children will do with us. Except for our children move into disobedience and they just give us the attitude and I'm not going to do it and stomp over to the room or whatever it is or mouth back. No, I'm sure Jesus has some of the thought, okay, but hold on a minute. I am here to do the will of the Father. And he says, that's my food. In other words, that's how I live. That's what fills me up. That's the heart of a leader that's submissive in humility to Jesus and to God's plan. Thirdly, Jesus put together a team. Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you, I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. So Jesus knows, I have this great mission to do, but I can't do it myself. And he starts to put together this team. We know the team as known as the disciples. Now you read that text, and let's just consider that within context. Sometimes we read that and we go, wait a minute, he's just walking along the beach and you see some guy working out, hey, come on, you come help me. They never met before, right? Just come on, let's go do this. Oh, you guys out in the boat, come on, I need your help too. Why don't you guys come help me? That's not what was taking place. 
within context, what happened was they had developed some relationship with Jesus already. By this point, they probably spent about a year and a half of getting to know each other. And Jesus, in conversation or prayer, asking God, God, who's going to come? Who am I going to call? Who are going to be the disciples? And I'm sure God was giving them the names. And then when, they, when he comes along at about a year and a half into his ministry, and they know who he is, when he says, hey, you come, let's go fish for people. They're like, yeah, I'm ready. When he looks out to the boat, hey, you get out of that boat. Come on, let's go fish for people. Okay, I'm ready. When he calls the tax collector, when he calls the different people, he's already had some relationship. They've already got to know him somewhat, and they realize, okay, the mission. Now, the thing is, you've got to realize, he doesn't call the sharpest crayons in a box, so to speak. You think about it, he calls the disciples. And as you study the disciples, they were not the most learned. They were not the most educated. They were just ordinary men. Ordinary, matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, it tells us ordinary unschooled. So he wasn't calling the ones who were understudies to the priest. He wasn't calling the ones who were memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and moving on, memorizing the rest of the Old Testament of all the Jewish laws. He was calling the ones who were struggling. He was calling the C students. Anybody here a C student? You don't have to admit. <clears throat> I struggle to stay out of the C's. He calls the unschooled, ordinary people and says, come on, we're going to go change the world. And he builds this team and puts a team together and says, let's go do this together. And so if we are going to do this together, we must build a team. So how are we going to do that? Church, I got you, you to understand this. We're a team. You understand that? Right here in this room. Center Point Christian Church, we are a team within a, a, a larger team, but we are a team and we've got to learn our role within a team. We talked about that a few weeks ago about knowing your spiritual gifts. As we go on this journey in the next few months, we're going to have times to start discovering what's my role, what's my position in the team. Not all of us can be the pitcher as baseball season is getting started, or not all of us can be the point guard, or not all of us can be the center, but all of us have to learn our part on the team and then we have to fulfill our role on the team. Cool story. I saw yesterday when I was watching all the highlights and everything about sports. Michigan had their uh, little story about them when they, when they arrived at the hotel, of course, because it said Michigan. I stuck around, want to watch it, right, and see what they had to say. Well, all the ones who helped the team, all the team managers, they never get on the court and play. So at a hotel, when they show up at a hotel, what they do is they, they get this big room, and they have to still practice and kind of review. When we're playing this team, here's how they do things. Well, they show that their team managers went into the room where they're at, and they lay down on the floor tape. So they make the, the free throw lane, make the free throw uh, where they shoot their free throw, and they put the little couple hashtags on there so they can at least have some positioning. Well, this time the team manager went in there, and they put the three-point arc out there. And then they went, and I don't know how they did it, but somehow they took and they put the logo, March Madness logo, in the middle of the carpet. And they said it took about four hours to do all of it. And then up on the wall, they put these basketball hoops. So when all the team players came in and all the coaches, they were overwhelmed and wowed. And they said, this is why our team is so important. It's not just the people on the court. It's the people who are helping us succeed. I mean, it was a cool story about just team unity and how you work together and every part's important. We are, we are a team, church. And as we go through this journey asking what's next, we're going to be asking you, let's discover what part of the team am I on? Where do I play? What's my role as part of the team? And all of us discover our roles and all of us know that as we function as a team, then God's church here at Centerpoint gets stronger. But here's the cool thing is we're not just a, a team by ourselves. We're a team within God's greater kingdom within this huge church, and it's together a center point, we're going to discover, God, what do you want us to do? 
How do we carry the message of the gospel right here where you have us planted? And so it's so important that we gather and realize we are a team working together for one purpose. Fourthly, we realize that Jesus was great because he served. Matthew chapter 9, and they came to Capernaum, his disciples. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for one, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if any one of you would be first, he must first of all be last of all and a servant of all. Just to picture this. The disciples are on their way walking. They're going down the road and they're bickering. I'm better than you are, Matthew. No, I'm better than you are, James. No, I'm better than you, Thomas, because you have all those doubts, and you doubt so much there's no way you're any good, and they're having this argument, and they get to the house. Jesus like, what's going on? You ever do that with your kids? You know there's bickering and fighting going on. You're like, get in here. What's going on? Nothing, my dear. Nothing, my dear. Well, she said, well, he did. Well, okay, get in here, sit down. We're having a family meeting. You guys never done those? Done many. Are my kids in here? It's time for another one. <laughs> no. Sometimes you have to just kind of recorrect, right? You have to redirect. Okay, remember the direction we're moving in? So going on, they're arguing big, and Jesus is like, get in here. Gather in. Let me talk to you for a few minutes. Let's redirect here. Remember, they're not the sharpest crayons in a box. So they had to be redirected, they had to be retrained, and he says this in John 13, or we see in John 13 how he models being the servant, where it says he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a base and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Sets so the example of servanthood. Sets so the example of what that means. Now you read that and you go, well, he washed your feet, so let's dig in a little bit deeper. Okay, in that day of time, they didn't have shoes like you and I have today. They couldn't protect their feet from the elements. They wore sandals, and their sandals were really lacking. Like, our sandals are pretty fancy nowadays. We went to the store the other day and saw a pair of sandals, $120. Like, sandals? Because, you know, they support you and do all this perfect stuff for you. I don't know what all it is, but, you know, they're supposed to be so great. But sandals, their sandals were like a piece of cardboard with some leather tie on it just so it wouldn't fall off. Something just to kind of protect their feet from some of the rocks and some of the things that may cut their feet. Now picture this. When you go to a football game and it's raining outside and you're over at UK and you first go across some blacktop and then you're like, I got to go across that grass and there's all that mud. What are you doing? You're kind of trying to bounce around them, trying not to get your shoes wet. Well, they do that kind of stuff with their feet that are not covered up, or it's all dusty and dirty outside. They don't have sidewalks to walk on. You know, city of Lexington, as you develop an area, they say, you got to put a sidewalk out here for people to walk on. So when we built this building, 600 feet of sidewalk, we see people walking that sidewalk about once a month. Seriously. Sit in my office and go, yeah, the sidewalk's beautiful, thousands of dollars. <laughs> Maybe one day, one day when these neighborhoods get built, people will use it. I'm glad we have sidewalks. Aren't you glad we have sidewalks? And as you go on down, one day there'll be sidewalks all the way down. They didn't have that. They had dirt paths. They walked on their feet, are filthy, dirty, stinky, gross. And so when you enter into someone's house, you would enter in, and there was a slave or a servant who was there, who the first thing he would do is kick off those sandals. You've got to wash your feet because you can't trek all that dirt all over a house all over my kingdom, whatever it was they were entering into. And it was always 
the position of the lowliest person in the household to wash the feet of the guests who were coming in. What did Jesus do? He gets up and he takes and puts on that towel of servanthood and says, I got to wash your feet. I'm going to be your slave. I'm going to be your servant. And so when the disciples are arguing who's greatest of all, he brings out that example and says, look, this is what I've done for you. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to serve people so well that when you look at them, you say, I'm willing to serve no matter how low I have to go. Jesus dropped the title. I mean, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus, Savior of all. He says, forget the title. I want to serve you. Wouldn't it be great if we get in this world and we just drop titles? Wouldn't it be great if we just dropped all of our titles? Because our titles make us think, well, I'm, I'm so good because I'm a doctor. I'm so good because I'm a pastor. You know what, people, I, I, someone for a service, Brian, we should have told me this. I'm going to tell you, church. All right? And I know a lot of you all do this out of respect because I'm a pastor. And you teach your children. That's Pastor Brian. You know what I prefer? Brian. Or Mr. Bolton's okay, too, if you prefer that. But I know some of you just want to teach your, ch- your children respect. I put my pants on the same way you will put your pants on. What happens, though, titles, we elevate ourselves. Well, I've got this title that goes behind my name, president, great person, da-da-da, right? The titles start to make us think we're wonderful. Wouldn't it be great in your business world if you could just kind of scratch that off? off your business card and just get rid of the title. I, mean, I understand we have to have them because we have to have to kind of change the command, who's in charge, who's leading things. Who's... But wouldn't it be great if we, the church, just said, you know, those titles don't mean anything to me. I'm just here to be a servant. That's my title. I'm here to serve. And that means if my company needs me to wash toilets, I'll wash to- toilets. My company needs me to pick up a, a mop, I'll pick up a mop. My, my company needs me to take the trash out, I'll take the trash out. And you start serving that way or your neighbor, instead of complaining and grumbling that your neighbor does this or does that, you know what? My neighbor needs some help. I'll go over and I'll help them mow their grass. I'll help them take their trash. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just care for my neighbor. Or instead of being at home and thinking, well, I'm the parent, you know what? I'll get down there with my child. I'll help my child do their task or do their chores. I'll get in there and wash some dishes with them. I'll help them clean up their room. I'll help them as I'll come alongside them and model them what it means to be a servant. What about moms and dads? If you were to tell your kids one time, you know what? You have all your chores today. Take the day off. I'm doing them for you. Well, the kids are like, where are you at, kids? You're supposed to be like, amen, mom and dad. you hear what he said? You go home and just be a servant. And if we serve, the heart of Jesus serves. People start to see that. That sets an example of the love of Christ. And so we need to serve as Jesus served. Fifthly, Jesus shared responsibility with his team. Look at Luke chapter 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Notice what he did here. He he first calls the disciples and said, come on, you're going to be my team. We're going to get this thing going. We're going to take God's plan. We're going to put in action now. You're going to be part of my team. And then he realizes, Jesus knows, listen, I'm only effective right where I'm standing right now, so I can minister to this person right before me. But if I can train up this team and they get sent out, they can preach and they can teach and they can heal. He says he heals all diseases. Not some of them. They were empowered to heal, have power over all the demons and, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to what? To proclaim the kingdom of God, that Jesus is Savior of the world. And so he empowered them. Listen, church, ascending church is a healthy church. 
When the church empowers people to do the works of ministry, that's when a church gets healthy. That's when a church gets most effective. So as we go on this journey asking what's next, we're going to expand our releasing of ministry. We're going to expand our sending. We're looking for people who says, man, I want to serve. Hey, I want to lead. Hey, I want to go here. We, I hope one day we have stories of people going to be missionaries. We have stories of people going to be preachers and going to be youth ministers, people going into downtown areas and leading ministries that are changing lives around the city of Lexington because we have to become a sending church where we empower people and say, you go do it. You go make it happen. And so much of our world today, we look at the professionals, well, What's the pastor doing? Well, what's the elders doing? That's their job. It's not. Doing kingdom work is the life of the church as a, as a team, the ministryhood, the, the ministry of all, all believers. And lastly, Jesus made the mission clear. Made the mission clear. I could have started with this one. I decided to finish with it. We've been talking about this every single week. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, he's saying, listen, God's given me the authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gave them the mission. Here's what we're doing, guys. Here's what we're doing, disciples. You are going to go into all the world. And that mission has been passed on from one generation to another generation to another generation. And it lies in our lap now. In 2019, as the church of 2019, that mission lies in our lap. And one day, when, when those who follow behind us, what kind of stories will be told about us and how well we carried our mission? How well we picked it up and passed the baton on to the next generation? You know, we're in the middle of March Madness. I know not everyone's not excited about March Madness. I mean, like brackets, I don't care, turn it off. But uh, it, it captures a lot of people's minds this time of the year. You know, they have a mission. It's called to win the championship. You know when they started thinking about that mission? Like last July? Last July, as they started entering on the courts when it was hot outside and sweaty outside, and if you've been in gyms, they get nasty hot in the middle of summer. They started talking about our mission. Let's win Let's win our conference as part of the mission. Let's go on beyond winning our conference, and now let's make it to the big dance. And let's win the big dance. Let's win March Madness. Why? So that our name will be put down in a record book. So we'll get the big trophy. We'll take and bring it home. We'll be able to get the nice big fat rings. We'll be able to say to people, look, we won the championship back in 19." 89, or we won the championship in 2019, a story to pass on to your kids, a story to pass on to your grandkids, a story that will just go on, that you're the champions. That's their mission. Truth be told, it'll all fade away. It'll all be nothing. We have a mission to help people who don't know God, to come into a relationship with God, uh, one way I like to say it, we have a mission to rescue people who have a destiny going towards hell to bring them to heaven. We have a mission to give people hope. We have a mission to help people know that there is hope in this world. That mission has been passed on to us. We have a mission to help people know, how do I walk in Christ Jesus every single day? That mission has been given to us from God himself. If we're going to be effective as a church, as we lead other people to Jesus, we must Believe in the mission that has been given to us. We must fully embrace the mission and say, I want to do everything I can to work towards that mission. Now, Jesus led perfectly. 
did. He led perfectly. He had a perfect relationship with his father. We're not perfect, are we? We, we stumble and we fall. But nonetheless, Jesus' model guides us towards a more spirit-led, a spirit-filled leadership that honors those that we come in contact with, leads us into that kind of relationship. The more we follow Jesus, the more perfect, so to speak, we become in emulating and taking on the characteristics of a great leader like Jesus. Then when we lead like Jesus, then we'll leave a legacy that shapes generations to come for Jesus until the day he returns. Church, let's take our leadership seriously. Let's take the leadership that Jesus instills into us, that he gives us, let's take that seriously so we can impact a world and generations to come.